Welcome to the Danger Room, a place to prepare for the opponents you are yet to face. We discuss strategy and how to level up your game in Marvel Crisis Protocol. We will have our Xavier Protocol segment, some hot takes discussing something new and shiny, and our main topic of the week. We would like to begin by thanking you, the listener, for giving us your time to listen to our opinions of the game. On the podcast, we have Jacob, Sploosh, and myself, Dizzard. Alright, so uh, we're going to go ahead and go into our hot takes, and we'll uh, start with Bullseye. Jacob, what are your thoughts on Bullseye? Uh, Bullseye, so the first thing I guess we should dig into is I published an article on the maths of Pincushion. Um, we're going to talk a bit more about that uh, later, but uh, it's kind of equivalent to sort of an ace, eight dice attack in a lot of situations. So that's comparable with kind of like uh, Crossbones when he spends four power uh, or Hulk's big four power eight dice attack. So it's kind of on par with those characters, but I think I don't know if that's damning him with faint praise a little bit, comparing him to Hulk and Crossbones. Um, so his spender attack, I mean, it's range four, which is really good, and his throwing, but the big issue I think we're going to have with Bullseye is power generation. Mm-hmm. How's he going to get all the power to do all of these cool stuff when he's only got a four dice builder? Um, it's got bleed, so maybe you'll want to take him uh, for bleed because it's an automatic bleed, doesn't have to do damage, uh, he just gets bleed. So I can see yeah, if you really want to get some bleed out there, then that might be good. Um, but I think he's going to struggle with power generation. Having said that, he's a three-cost character in Criminal Syndicate, and uh, we might talk about this a bit later, but I think that's something that Criminal Syndicate's going to want. I think if they're going to want the ability to run a, a sort of a wide team with lots of characters at a low threat value, and so I think he might find a pivotal role in just facilitating that in that affiliation. Yeah, I I think the same. It's he looks really cool, um, really neat little three pointer with the uh, the pincushion. I just his power generation is going to be really difficult. Um, just looking at him and what I'm thinking about Criminal Syndicate is probably going to see a lot of Criminal Syndicate running R and D just to kind of supplement those type of things, or maybe even no matter the cost, no matter the cost might be decent with him. It'd be a a big health hit, but. Um, yeah, I, I see him being really neat. It's just the power generation is going to really handicap the character's potential. Yeah, I think the, uh, well, his breakout ability is actually, in my opinion, parting shot. Because I think, like you said, if he's in criminal, criminal, criminal syndicate, he will want to, like, just be alive and, you know, dominate maybe objective play. And that's his primary role with his secondary role being maybe a finisher when somebody's limping around at one health. Uh, so it, like reactively you would run parting shot, but then proactively you might do hit and runs where maybe the opponent's advancing and you're just maybe hitting them and then running off to keep him alive. So that like his health pool might be a little misleading because if you can reliably use parting shot, he might just take one hit and then get away. So as long as he doesn't die in one attack, he theoretically could be fine. Does I guess that makes sense. My count- yeah, I guess yeah. my counter argument to that is if you're taking him for parting shot and saying that's going to help him keep him alive, why not go with Black Widow Agent of Shield? She's also got parting shot. She's got stealth. She's got higher physical defense, and she's got better power generation because her automatic pistol guarantees her, you know, two power per action if she's using automatic pistol. The only real upside he's got on her is that he's doing it at range four, whereas she needs to get to range three. But 
you know, parting shot then takes you out into stealth uh, territory. So I think they're kind of comparable if that's what you're seeing as the main thing. And I think unless you're going for affiliation, I well, think I'm that's probably it. going to be choosing Widow instead. You're going for affiliation. I mean, it, I think it's a hint to the theme of cr criminal syndicate that they're going to be more obnoxious. I, we don't know what Mysterio does, but I could totally picture him being similar, that he's more obnoxious than he is like a killer. You know, I think in, in like, look at um, Crossbones. I mean, yeah, OK, maybe if Crossbones gets up, he might start hitting you. But mostly Crossbones, his defining ability is not dying. It's kind of his thing. Right. Mm -hmm. So. And obviously, Kingpin, I mean, he's potentially one of the most durable characters in the game. So it just seems to me like people are getting hung up on Bullseye and how much offense he can put out. And I think that isn't why you're taking him, really. I think you're trying to, like, win quickly and you're trying to kind of dominate the board for at least the first couple turns of the game. And then obviously, when the game progresses to, like, turn three, turn four, maybe you try to, like, finish people off and get a little more aggressive. I think the so, crossbones comparison is an interesting one because, again, you're right, he's in affiliation. Uh, but what they want to be doing is they want to be standing on points and leveraging the fact that they count double, uh, whereas Bullseye's ability are all about moving away from points. His hit and run moves him away. His parting shot moves him away. So it feels like Bullseye wants to go late in the round in order to move back and score those points. But that's the spot where you would want to have someone like a Shuri who's pushing other people off points. Now, maybe Criminal Syndicate don't need Shuri because they've got this ability. But I don't, I don't know. I guess across bones, I'd be really happy moving up early in the round going, he's going to survive. If he gets pushed off, he can move back with high progressive. Um, so Bullseye, maybe he, he's the late activation for, the, for them, um, moving, trying some knives and moving back on with hit and run. Maybe that's not awful. But, yeah, and maybe by the end of the activations, uh, somebody's limping around and he could finish them off, you know? I mean, there's... I, like, I do think for other affiliations, I'm a little underwhelmed with him but just because his playstyle doesn't really meet the needs of other lists, right? His offense is a little not exciting. I When I look at this character, honestly, I see him as, like, a 2.5 threat, and I would obviously rather, as a player want him to be like two threat with potentially some nerfs uh but as a game designer you lean towards three right because two two might be too aggressive and so then if that's the way you look at the card and, and i don't blame people for not liking bullseye because i think i think the consensus is a lot of people don't like him uh you have to think about what cr criminal syndicate is trying to do and it seems to me like maybe they're not trying to win like wakanda but they are you know, with Shuri pushing and obviously Panther pushing, he's not doing that, but he is kind of tanking his own goofy way, you know, mm -hmm. where, where he is kind of, you know, annoying the opponent. And, you know, sometimes you don't roll that well. So maybe that first attack on him only hits for like one or two, and then he just parts away and then you're a little frustrated. Also, too, you know, it's a psychological thing. Just knowing he can parting shot may change everything they do. They might just not even attack him at all. It's a psychological mm. warfare. I think having run a bit of maths on him, I never miss is actually surprisingly good. Um, just, you know, that guaranteeing 100% chance as long as you've got the power of getting that damage in. Doesn't combo with the Cabal ability because the attack's over when I never miss triggers, so it won't trigger the Cabal leadership ability. But just yeah. guaranteeing that damage is something which can be really useful. So 
maybe there's some real value in that. Maybe I I, I wouldn't play him. I, I'm looking for more than one damage most of the time. I think that's one of the reasons that um, Winter Soldier is not well valued either. He just the four dice range five. Just at the end of the day, you're hoping for maybe one damage, and uh, that's just not very exciting in this game. In this game, if a character's at one health remaining, they can do a lot to you and not really be punished for it. And so if the, if Bullseye's hitting people down to like one remaining health, that's what is that even accomplishing? You know? Well, it's stopping people attacking him because he's got passing shot and he can do that one damage to them in the middle of their activation, wasting an action and dazing them on their turn, which is always fun. That's fair, but the agency's still in your opponent's hands. They have the decision to make and they can know, knowingly not attack Bullseye and just attack but somebody then he's... else. But then he's sitting counting double on a on a secure. So, you know, it's a yeah, well, if you don't. Right. And that's kind of why I compare him to crossbones. Like I think they both are doing the same job in a different way. And it's very unique. Whether it'll end up being really good or not is up for debate. But it's certainly the idea, I think. And I think it's what you should focus on when you're looking at Bullseye. Is you know, not thinking he's gonna go in there and just full health kill a character. It's not really his role. It's in my opinion. No, I think I agree. He's not a, a mass striker. No, no, I wouldn't say he is at all. I think I kind of like the idea of him just kind of darting around because like, he's got hit and run. And then you get also Green Goblin in there, kind of creates that. Um, they really criminal syndicate's gonna be bouncing around almost like web warriors, just not as aggressively. They're more like it almost seems more like a defensively bouncing around. Yeah, I keep in mind parting shot can pay for itself. All he has to do is take two hits. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. And to me, that's the thing. I, you know, you bring up Agent Widow. I mean, Agent Widow's a weird character, and I don't know. Maybe it's because she shoots range three and kind of has been attached to gimmick attacks. I, I don't know. I Agent Widow's a weird one. I mean, we could have a whole discussion on why Agent Widow isn't played as much as she is or whatever. Um but I do like parting shot. It's fun. Uh, it's he doesn't have stealth like she does, but you know, and there, I, like I could see him played on either the the serums or like a gamma, and either one the positions could work out for him where you position him slightly aggressively on a back objective for gamma or a side objective for serum. And then if the opponent chooses to attack you, you just move back with the parting shot. And then, like you said, activate him a little late and maybe just attack move him back onto the objective and mm -hmm. if you can do that for like two turns of conflict he's already paid for himself because of the criminal syndicate ability or leadership so i think that's all you can expect from him i think that's his kind of role and, and gamma is I mean... the same way you can't you have him hang back on like the back objective but maybe up a little bit if they choose to not attack him fine you get two attacks and maybe two auto damage. And if they choose to attack him, you just run him back away a little bit and move him back onto the point when it's his turn. So it's, yeah, it is kind of a late activation concept. But it's like you look at that for three threat, that's a really good deal. It's definitely consistency, right? Yeah. Like you consistently should survive attack one attack. You consistently will do two damage, potentially three, let's say. I mean, there is... You know, there's something there. Um, and sometimes four dice do spike. I've definitely seen it. I'm sure you all have. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Not to mention the chance to a bleed out. Like it's not like a major thing, but it can get annoying. Yeah. Auto bleed. Yeah, auto bleed. So I guess his two automatic damage can kind of become four with bleed and then parting shot. So you know, that's that's maybe that's decent. Yeah. It's definitely not exciting. <laughs> I mean there's there's, yeah, exactly. there's nothing I would say there's nothing special solid, about him. Solid. No, but I, I think yeah, solid. And I think being a three threat in criminal syndicate is gonna be um an important thing for him as well. And yeah. And, yeah. yeah. You wanna add anything else there or should we move on? Uh I think we're good to move on. Just one second. Or didn't Jacob didn't lag. Jacob, you there? No, he didn't. No, lag. Okay. Uh, oh. I, you know, I hate to trans uh, segue, but unexciting is a little bit of Daredevil. Even though I don't hate Daredevil, I really don't. It's just uh, he's not a flashy excited. character. I'm less excited for Daredevil than I am for Bullseye because I see where <laughs> I would play Bullseye. I, I just like Daredevil is just a another four threat. He's four, yeah, four threat. Um average beater like he doesn't have anything that's too fancy yeah the whole devil's deliverance is pretty neat but i can't really think of a time where you're gonna have him able to really pull that off where it's gonna be the most effective to where you're actually gonna be happy with pulling it off oh if you pull it off well you're gonna feel amazing you know yeah it's, if you can get how... like a, a 10 dice attack on four people that's gonna yeah. be amazing but how um, often does that happen like how often do you see yeah. that situation coming up and you need five power already. Yeah. Well, it's, um, so it's not only that, but like in order to do that attack, you almost kind of have to. You're you're projecting it. Um, you're gonna have to project it. So you're gonna have to start pushing people in to kind of funnel them into an area, and then go in with him to try and do it. Uh, but it's it's such a big projection that I just I don't see it getting pulled off the way that people would want it to be done. Well, that's that's kind of my issue with Daredevil is um. He looks like he might be a really good defender because mm -hmm. he's got three physical attacks and he's already applying a bunch of statuses and stun is a really good status, which not a lot of people have access to. And he's got it on his strike, which is really good. Um, so I th that's kind of the best thing on his card, I think, pretty much. Um, and maybe the long move wall crawler, that's pretty fun with decent defenses. So maybe that's another role for him as like an early objective grabber on the other side of the table. But he hasn't got the stamina to back it up in the way that, say, Black Panther has. But my issue with him and defenders is that defenders already are really good at those sort of tight focused uh, scenarios because, you know, you've got uh, Doctor Strange who is brilliant at that and he's going to make you even better at something you're already good at. Mm -hmm. So mm, does he make the roster when you've got a tight roster and you're looking to try and make, I, I, it depends, are you trying to accentuate your strengths or are you trying to ameliorate your weaknesses? And generally, when I'm building a roster, I go, okay, well, I'm pretty good at this. How can I fix up my holes? Um, if you go the other way, then it's kind of a, a bit of a, a bit of a, uh, a game of chicken about, you know, do you get the secures that you need in order to have your thing go off, or do you lose priority? Your your opponent spots the holes and plays you into something which you know that they know you're going to be bad at. Yeah, that's, oh, that's I... interesting. Yeah, it's. I see that. It's just. I don't know. I'm. I'm underwhelmed by him. I'm just gonna leave it at that for me. And 
out of affiliation, I think he's competing with Black Panther as a long mover with decent defenses, but he's got a fantastic control set in Black Panther. And also, I think Black Panther spikes damage better. Um, and the other character who I think he's kind of comparable with is Spider-Man, threes across the board and re-roll two. Um, but Spider-Man, again, has got, he's, you know, relatively unpopular outside of, um, uh, outside of Web Warriors. And he's a defender as well. So he's competing directly with Spider-Man in affiliation. But Spider-Man has a control game because he's got a pull and a, and a throw. So he's got better control on the secures as opposed to uh, a wild push on the baton hook with only four dice, um, but more access to status effects and more you know, damage dealing potential, I guess. Um, so I just, I'm struggling to see a roster that I want to play Daredevil in. Is he really, he's more tanky than, than Black Panther though. Just because uh, I guess if you flips. consider both sides, because he's got counting blanks on both sides, but only having five stamina on his healthy side is a real... The, the biggest thing you can do to make you survive longer is have more stamina when you look at the maths. Yeah, and I guess he's only rolling three defense on physical when Panther's yeah. rolling four, which is a huge yep. difference when you can do blanks. I think the intention would be that Doctor Strange would be helping him out. Uh, I'm sure that was the idea. I don't know. Like, I could see him being in. He's definitely designed for kind of like a mosh pit play style with, like, and I hate to keep saying it, but, you know, Gamma Shelter or the New Demon objective. Yeah. He's kind of meant for that, in my opinion. He, I, I, I feel like defenders as a whole are designed for that gameplay, and he mm -hmm. fits that way. Yeah, the defenders are interesting. Instead of thinking sort of fast, slow, the defenders are sort of thinking narrow and wide. And you kind of need something in your defenders roster to cope with the wide ones, and maybe something like Web Warriors is a great fit with that. Yeah, so Daredevil would be played on that Gamma style map, but you don't play him. I think it's almost guaranteed you don't play him on a, a wider, like a D map, right? That's just not a thing you would do with him. It's interesting too. Yeah, go ahead. He's got a long move, though, and you know the, the redeployment options that we've talked about in the past on D maps that can be really powerful, making your opponent chase you. Um, hmm. And you can hold an objective really well. Um, he does kind of remind me of Bullseye in a way too, though, because neither of them are designed to like really push people and and control in that manner. He's more of a brawler, um, and so like. I think the intention, I, I'm not going to say I can read the minds of the developers, but part of me thinks like he's probably meant to be played in Criminal Syndicate. It's like he's got the similar style of like, and, and like kind of like I said with Crossbones too. He's like, his whole thing is like, I can take hits and that's what I do. And I stand on points and I try to stay alive as long as I can. Maybe he works quite well with Bullseye because he's got his man without fear to make attacks out of activation. And so with that sort of nickel and dime of Bullseye as well, maybe that does add up significantly. Yeah, it, it cannot be understated how good Stun is, by the way. I, I think Stun might be the second best, um, you know, what is it, status effect in the game. Mm -hmm. And I, I think Stagger usually is considered the best. Yeah. I, am I, and and he has that on his uh you know gainer strike, so that's yep. certainly not nothing. And he can get do man without fear for free other attacks that might trigger stunts. 
Yeah. Stepping back a moment, I was surprised he was a four uh, cost character for threat. Just because if you had asked me, you know, Daredevil is not some superhuman monster killer, you know, but I do, I, I can imagine for game design reasons, he, they wanted him to be kind of taking a lot of hits. And that was sort of thematic for Daredevil. The poor guy's always getting hit and bruised. And you can't really make a three or two cost character take that many hits and feel like he's Daredevil, perhaps. Um, so they just said, screw it. Let's just make him a four threat character. Maybe I'm speculating a little far there, but I don't know. Did you guys expect Daredevil to be a four threat character? No, I was expecting three for him. Yeah, I think three was what I had in my mind. But um, I think maybe the way they've set him up, it just it could justify a four. I think in particular that stun on the strike. If you're looking to build maybe a, a, a power denial team, then maybe that's somewhere you consider him. But there are other ways of inflicting statuses, uh, sort of power affecting statuses. And his is on a range two attack. That might be the downfall of it. That means it doesn't quite work as well in that um, that setup because you have to do a five dice range two attack in order to and give them some power in order to then apply the stun condition. Yeah, he's a little vulnerable to pushes, which you might say, oh, but he loses lung. No, he's not. But you got to remember, Panther has that extra little pounce to give him that skip in his step. You know? Yeah, like he's, he's not got a charge are... or a place yeah. or anything like that. You can picture some really awkward situations where he moves long and he's just, you know, a couple millimeters out of a range two attack. And you're just kind of sad. <laughs> yeah, particularly on like D-shaped scenarios, that will happen all the time. Yeah. And then so, you know, you throw a baton hook, but you're not happy about it. Um, I'm betting he was designed completely around radar sense, though. Like, I'm, I don't, I'm not even... I would say, like, if they, when they made this guy, they're like, Radar Sense, this is why we're making this character. And then they went from there, you know? And so. it, is, it is worth saying, he has got six health on his flip side, and then that counting blanks. So probably overall, he is a bit tankier, uh, and he's the only character that counts blanks on both sides, apart from, like, Loki when he's paying power, but he gets it for free. Um, so I think he might be, yeah, I think you're right, he might be surprisingly durable. But five on the healthy side is always always a sad. If he six on the on the healthy and five on the injured, I think I might be a little bit more excited about him. So moving on, yeah. um, Jacob, what do you have today for us for Xavier protocols? So tying in with Bullseye having been um, previewed by Atomic Mass Games, I wanted to talk about uh, pincushion on Bullseye and an automatic pistol on Black Widow, because when you look at them, these attacks look slightly underwhelming. You know, we've got a, a four dice on uh, Black Widow that generates power and a five dice spender, which costs four on Bullseye. Uh, and looking just a little bit, digging into how they work when you're comparing them with other attacks, because both of these attacks have the rapid fire rule, which means they basically make two attacks against the same target. Uh, what that means, in short, you've got more opportunities for dice spikes and you've got more opportunities for your opponent to roll bad defense dice. So when you look at the math of it, it breaks down quite interestingly. The automatic pistol attack, the, the builder attack on Widow, although you don't gain um, power for damage like you do on a normal strike, you're going to get two power off it. And in terms of damage, it's kind of the equivalent of a six dice uh, attack when you look at the, the spread of probabilities. 
Now, obviously, that varies according to their defensive pattern, and it's better against those who've got like a three physical with no special rules, and it's a lot worse against a four physical with counting blanks like Black Panther. It's surprisingly good against MODOK as well. So if you're looking for someone who can put some damage on MODOK, then two four dice tanks uh, are pretty good against MODOK. It certainly it punches more like a seven dice against MODOK. Um, Bullseye, you've got a similar thing with Pincushion. The five dice, uh, again, it's against a, uh, a, a sort of a weaker defense. It's somewhere like eight and a half dice, those two fives added together. Uh, and uh, against Modog, it's yeah, it's really very very effective against Modog. So maybe you're seeing Bullseye as getting up and uh, pincushioning Modog, and that's part of maybe his appeal. He's, he's going to work really well into that. Um, so maybe check out those articles, have a look at the math thread. I'm not going to talk through the numbers here. Um, they'll be in the show notes, those two articles, one for Agent Widow and one for Bullseye. Just have a look at the spread of the maths, and I think you might be surprised how good those two attacks actually are compared to how they read on the card. All right, so Jacob, why don't you go ahead and introduce us to the topic of the day? Okay, so this is something which I've discussed in the past on the Omnis Protocol podcast. Uh, there'll be a, a link to that discussion, and there'll be some overlap. We'll be saying some of the same things, but we're hoping to bring some new things. Uh, if you haven't heard it, I think that's a, it's a really good topic, talking about power and how people view power and how they use power and the choices they make around power. Um, so go and have a listen to that. There will be some overlap with this, but we're going to try and keep new stuff coming in. Um, but I know Sploosh, we've talked about this before, about power as a resource and the many resources of the game. Yeah, I feel like we've hinted um, a lot over the last few episodes on this topic today. And uh, what I mean by that is we talked in the past about how different lists are trying to, you know, win or beat you through the amount of turns that exist in the game or the amount of VPs they have in the moment. and Another resource that we can talk about today, which is pretty exciting, is uh, power gain. Uh, I, I do feel like I have a lot of experience on this just because I tend to be a big fan of Cabal, and I feel like that's sort of their biggest strength in the game. You could argue Avengers are similar because they can reduce the cost of their stuff. Uh, but Cabal really makes it uh, dramatic because sometimes... Uh, you know, you'll have a tough choice, like, do should I reroll this dice? Well, if I spend a power to gain a hit, and that hit is my first hit on a character, that, does, that doesn't just get me the one power back, but it would gain me two power. So I'd actually gain profit off of my one power. And uh, maybe I should back up a little bit. Uh, what I'm referring to is something that I've never... I've never used this word, but I'm starting to learn that it's a term that's been created in this community and it's called like gainers. And, uh, you know, actually, I, I don't, Jacob, did you come up with that or is that something, you know, the root of where that came from? Uh, no, but I think it's just kind of a, a general, I don't know the root of it. It's not something I came up with, but it's the general idea that it's something which is getting you more than just paying itself back. Yeah. So, well, the idea of a gainer would be like an attack. So someone might say gainer attack. Uh, it's the attack a character has that gives them power in return for damage. So, uh, you know, yep. um, I like, normally so, refer to those as builders. Okay, builder. Maybe so. Maybe uh, um, maybe I misremembered that. Uh, but yeah, so a builder attack, sure. Uh, and you could see a gaining as well, power. But basically, yep. so you're building power off of an attack. So 
you're creating a resource. Uh, you know, your character might have one power and they spend zero power. And after the hit connects, they may return, let's say, two power. So they're producing two power that previously didn't exist in the game at all. It it wasn't owned by anyone. It just was created. So uh, you're building uh, power. And that is like the beginning of the entire discussion. And then it gets much more complicated because then you start having deeper discussions about what do you do with your power? And then what are the consequences of giving your opponent power? Because uh, one part of hitting somebody and doing damage is you're also giving your opponent power in return. Um, so I don't know how- One thing, yeah, one thing I'm just gonna straight up steal from Omnus is his suggestion that whoever spends the most power is likely to win the game. So if you're getting lots of power and then using that to do cool abilities and big attacks, you're significantly increasing your chances of winning the game, you know, all other things being equal. And I think that's something that's worth spelling out um, simply because it's something we don't really think about. You get power, okay, what am I gonna use my power on? And you sort of make micro decisions in the moment without stepping back and looking at the big picture and going, okay, do you know what? How can I get as much power so I can spend as much power? Yeah, I was having a conversation with uh, a friend yesterday and we were talking about the fact that maybe in a year or two, you know, people will really get down into the nitty gritty of this game. And one of the things that may be calculated that isn't really thought about right now is how much power was perhaps spent in a game, uh, you know, in calculating that, you know, people will say, oh, of course this guy was advantaged. You know, he spent 50 power and his opponent only spent 34 power. You know, I could I could really see that becoming a thing um, conceptually. And right now we're sort of in the infancy of the game and people are still developing and understanding what's going on. But I do think that that could become a thing, you know, and when we get, uh, you know, in real life, obviously it's probably difficult to count all the dice and all the things that happen throughout a game. But in the tabletop simulator, it, it already records every single dice roll. And, uh, you know, I could see a situation where they add that to the mod, uh, the spending of power. Now, the counterpoint to that, too, is like, how can you waste power? Well, if a character gets dazed or KO'd, they potentially might never use their power. So even though they might have on paper more power, if they don't actually use it, uh, then they're wasting it. And another thing is, and something we can dig deeper into, but people maybe not spending their power as efficiently as possible. Um, I hate to, I, I, you know, I don't know if I'm cutting in the discussion here, but I, I feel like I'm most happy when my power gives me more power, if that makes sense. So using abilities that would cost power, but would give me more power in return. Uh, and there's lots of abilities in this game that are like that. And it, you know, every character is different, but I don't know. You guys have any thoughts on that? Yeah, charge is a great example of that. I'm going to spend two power and then I get to move and then I get to make an attack. And that attack might be a builder attack, which generates me more power and I get that power back. That's interesting. I never think of charge like that. I always thought of charge as saving me an action, but maybe that's why charge is considered one of the best abilities in the game, because not only are you potentially producing a third action, but you're also gaining power, which makes it basically free. And I, I think of this, I think of the same thought process. Hit and run is similar. It's like except for it's the exact backwards procedure. Is you gain the power and then you spend the power you just gained. I mean, hopefully it works that way. But 
I think maybe that feels psychologically a little different because you're yeah. then like, I've got this power and now I'm just spending it to move away. But I, I guess they have kind of the same net effect. Yeah. I don't know. Hit and run's actually difficult for me to grasp. I I mean on paper, I guess what you do is if you're running away, you would first do a normal attack and then you would do a hit and run attack so that you could play objective but also be an aggressor, sort of, you know, saying so you kind of backpedal while also still getting your attacks in. I think that's the ideal circumstance. Um, that gets tricky, though, if the person you're shooting at has extracts, because then maybe they're dropping it, and then you aren't in position to pick it up anymore since you ran. So the way the way I look at it is its best-case scenario is you're the one with the extract, and you're the one trying to run away. Fair. Yeah. Uh, I think then you make an attack, and then you move twice, and then that's, that's its yeah. best or you use it to be hyper aggressive and you move attack move and get onto a secure point yeah. so like use it towards the objective so it's getting you net of almost it should um be roughly like either one to zero like a next sorry a negative one to zero power um as well as increasing your victory points is the way i'm looking at it Makes sense. So, so one of the main things in this whole discussion is about um, decisions you're making about what you can spend your power on. So I think it's worth just going through what you can spend your power on. You've got um, spender attacks, so the big, powerful, high damage attack with cool effects. Uh, you've got your superpowers. You've got uh, some leadership abilities. Use it. You've got your team tactics cards, and then you've got interacting with um, crisis features. So there's five, there's five different ways you can spend your power. And spending it on one necessarily means you've got less power to spend on those other other things. Right, and and so I don't know. I I don't know if we want to get deep into to examples because it's hard for me personally to to articulate this without maybe giving well, some let, strong examples. Let's talk about one of the the next idea, and it's your favorite character to talk about: spenders versus builders. So this is, I think, a great example here to illustrate what I'm talking about. Is Modok. Do you want to talk about Modok and his doomsday chair? Yeah, this is actually something. Uh, so a common thing when you're playing in league games is you play the game out and then you 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 know the game ends and you score out the game and then you usually have a little bit of a talk with your opponent. And I've played against um, a few people playing Modok in the sort of like final brackets of the last season. And one big conversation that came up a lot was how to play Modok. And, and and deciding what kind of attack to do with Modok. And um, I'm sure most people are familiar with Modok at this point, but, you know, he does have um, a, a amazing, um, you know, power-gaining attack, which is his psychic psionic blast. Uh, and then he has Doomsday Chair, which is also very strong. And I, I know when I first started playing the game and I was amongst the people and I'm just listening to people talk around me, you know, physically when before COVID, a lot of people would talk up Doomsday Chair as the reason to play MODOK. And I always was a little confused by that because I do think on paper it's a crazy attack. And I'm not saying it's a bad attack. For three power, you will get seven dice and then be able to potentially, you know, attack a second person and do another seven dice, which would then get you 14 dice. In Cabal, that's hopefully going to gain you two power. So it might only cost you one power. And, and, it's indisputable that that's very strong. However, I find in in discussing with people after games, 
that I've had people use Doomsday Chair on me and then get very subpar attacks. Uh, you know, maybe doing like a damage or two, you know, and and I just like I'm like, whoo, you know, let out a sigh of relief because their doomsday chair not maybe even whiffs and, and that's even worse but let's say they hit me for one they gain one power whatever my character's not dead and now their follow-up is pretty weak because they're kind of drained themselves of the power they have and you know if so my argument with um one of my opponents was like okay so you're guaranteed 14 dice and you probably without a spike would maybe do like a handful of damage um However, then your follow-up isn't that great. And, and Modok has so many amazing other abilities, uh, including his ability to reroll. So in contrast, if you do the Psionic Blast, which is one less dice, uh, but it's Psychic, which usually does well for you, um, you have the ability to turn your power into more power. So break even, if he just rerolls his dice and gets hits, he's trading a power for a damage, and then getting his power back. So he didn't really spend anything. However, then you add in sap power, which just goes to a whole nother level, because you might reroll a dice into a wild, and so now that one power you spent turns into two power. So now you're profiting. And then at the end of the attack, you're left with... I've had t turns where I've seriously gained eight power uh, on Modok. And it's like, all right, well... Now I have so many choices that, you know, the world is my oyster because I can make another attack potentially. And then I've had games against, I remember playing against a friend who was playing Wakanda and he had, I rolled like something like hit and then five blanks. And I was like, well, I'm rerolling five dice. And at the and then I turned it into like, they're pretty much like all hits. I think it, it was really good. It was, it, it, it turned the entire attack around. And so yeah. at that point, I had rolled six plus five. I had I rolled 11 dice. And then what were the consequences? All that damage I did turned back into the power. I just got it right back. So then I could do things like move characters around, uh, you know, throw things at people, and maybe even have some power left over for defense, you know, which is a big thing because people try to kill you. You want to have some rerolls on defense. And, you know, I hate to turn this into a giant like Modok discussion, but I think Modok is like the poster child for like gaining power and how to turn it into value. Yeah, there... I think it's such a high opportunity cost power on Modok because there's so many cool things he can do with his power. Uh, you know, Bow School of Modok and uh, Imbecile or the World is a Weapon to Modok. They're both great abilities. And then uh, re-rolling on defense as well can make him even tankier. So it, I think you, I'm not saying never use Doomsday Chair. There are clearly situations where it's the right call. But I think you need to think carefully. If you're thinking, I'm going to use Doomsday Chair, I think you just want to sort of take a step back and just think, okay, is this actually the right thing to do with them? You also mentioned tactics cards, which I left out. But uh, Aim Lackey is easily one of my favorite cards in the entire game. So leaving, like... Finishing an attack with three power is so much more valuable to me than doing like maybe let's just hypothetically say Doomsday Chair rolled me three extra dice, but it left me without any power or not enough power to do the things I want to do. Um, that that to me is not worth the deal. I think another character we could talk about in the same you know spender versus builder is Venom. 
Um, I think he's another great character where people want to uh, use We Are Venom whenever they can. And sometimes you need to kind of think, well, wouldn't I rather use his um, symbiote tendrils and then gain the power? And then I've got enough power to so many snacks and We Are Venom, having gained power rather than spent power. So I think that's another character where you can say, if you've got, if you're sitting on enough power to do your spender attack, maybe just hold that and get even more power so that then you're able to use some of these cool abilities, which if you're using it on the spender, you're not getting the most out of the rest of the card in terms of their abilities. Yeah, so as far as that goes, the way I look at those two different attacks with Venom is Symbiote Tendrils is like his offensive, let me do this on my turn, and then um, oh, We Are Venom is like, the one you're going to try and like save the power for to use with plenty of snacks to gain back that health that the person just did to you or took away from you. Um, and then the only time you're really going to be using We Are Venom during your own turn is if you just have an ample amount of power to do so. Like I like to try and end my turn with Venom if I'm playing, like trying to keep this in mind, is I like to end my turn with at least three. That way, if I take two damage, I can do both of them and get some health back from the attack. I think that's the best way to look at those ones with Venom is because, um, yeah, you want to get that extra two dice out for the, the big attack. But where it makes its money is when it's your opponent's turn because you're doing damage to your opponent on their turn and then you're going to gain back the health that they just took away from you. I actually think Venom's a really good example of it not being black and white. because my favorite thing to do with Venom is spend the two on so many snacks and then actually do the tendrils knowing I'll get a bleed condition, which often will be auto damage uh, because maybe they're, it's their second action, so they can't even shake the bleed. Um, it, now, I, I agree with what you're saying, Dizzard, though, that like if they attack you once and then you know obviously another attack's coming, then we are Venom might save your life which gets into what i was saying earlier about you might have tons of power but if you're dazed or ko'd it's worthless you know so if you get greedy and you go for like a tendrils to just gain more power they might just you know daze you on the second attack and then you, you're not going to ever get your chance to to get value out of we are venom so that's where you really yeah. have to make the tough decisions i i do yeah. though if I th if I'm very confident that Venom will survive, uh, to go to activate, I will often go greedy and use symbi symbiotic tendrils on a so many snacks, and then I'd prefer to just use We Are Venom on my own activation. Or actually, sometimes I will not even do so many snacks at all. Like like if I'm hurt enough, I might try to go for two We Are Venoms, or like a tendrils We Are Venom. You know, it really depends on how much actual power you have, but you might be able to get away with like tendrils, venom, and a throw, for example, if you choose not to snacks. Because, you know, if you don't get your power back, then the snacks is kind of costly. And but it depends it also, a lot on the situation. It also comes down to, especially if you're holding lethal, uh, lethal protector in your hand, is you got to have the power for that card. And then typically, if you're playing lethal protector, you want to pop off that so many snacks, we are venom. So right there, you're looking at, what, eight power to get, get all of that off? Um, yeah. So it's like, I think that's why I think Symbiote Tendrils is 
primarily your active turn attack, and then occasionally you'll do a We Are Venom if you got the ample amount of power to do so. Uh, because you also got to think, like, all of his stuff is three. You got his, his throw cost three, his tactic card cost three, um, his super attack cost three. So it's he's a very spindy character when it comes down to power. Um, but he's also really good at gaining power, I think. It's because, I mean, five dice, like, yeah, it's physical. But I've never really had an issue with Venom gaining power unless I'm whiffing. No, you know how Venom gains power? Because I've learned this the hard way. He gains power by having seven health. Yeah. Uh, so he uses himself. He uses his own face as like you know a power gain system. The problem is when you stun Venom, he's extremely sad because really Tendrils actually cannot keep up with his hunger for power. He has to almost take damage, which is one of the reasons Lethal Protector is such a good card, uh, and it's why it's very popular. I think yeah. it's to take Venom is Lethal Protector. It, it's. The the ideal way to do it is you let them hit your teammate once, and then on their second attack, you you jump in. And so then Venom only takes one attack, and you can use the Symbiote Tendrils to gain power off that, that free attack or return. If he even gets it, I mean, he might, he might not have the four power, but if he does, I would do Tendrils to try to gain more power, and then, and then on my turn, activate Venom to heal it back. That would be my goal. So what I wanted to move on to next was talking about and thinking about power-rich versus power-hungry characters. Uh, Dizzard, have you got an example of a character that you think is often very power-rich and talk about why they why, why that is? So one uh, really power-rich character that immediately comes to mind is Ghost Rider, especially if you get him in that magical zone where he's just gaining power when you're attacking his friends. Uh, he's got a six-die energy builder. Um, like, it's... It's, I actually played a game with him earlier today, and he always had an ample amount of power, and I was not dissatisfied with that at all. Just because his placement on the board, he's within three of someone getting attacked, um, or somebody attacking, rather, and you're gaining the power for that. And then if he gets attacked, you're gaining power, and then on top of that, he's got that six-die builder. Um, I think he's really great at generating power. That's just off-of-the-mind um, first thought. What about his abilities? Do you find yourself spending a lot of power on his superpowers? Uh, no, honestly, the only one that I was using with when I've used him so far is Hell on Wheels, just getting him to jump around from point to point. And I really just enjoy his builder attack, uh, just a six die energy that puts out Hex on a wild. I think it's a great attack. I never even used, I didn't even use Pen and Stare once. I just did Hell on Wheels, and oh, okay, so I will say his one really, really good attack, and this is a good counter to Corvus, is the, um, I can't think of what it's called right now, uh, but the one where you spend two power, and for every crit, the person takes damage. Um, the guy rolled like six crits or something like that, including like the reality gem crit, um, so Corvus just basically falls to two power that I didn't have to do anything. Um, Wicked Judgment? Yeah, that one. Um, yeah, so it's like, I, I don't think he had issues with power. I was just doing build, using his builder attack every single time, and he was able to do everything I wanted to do with him. I actually really enjoyed playing him. Lush, you got an example of a, a character that often has a surf power? I think the character that comes to mind to me is definitely Hawkeye as a poster child. 
uh, he's he tends to be a character where all of a sudden he has ten power and you literally can't spend it. You're just like, okay, I guess I just have ten power for the rest of the game. <laughs> you know, because uh, his only attack is is a you know a power gaining attack, and he has no spender, so he can't really unload in any way. Um, and do you think that that ties into then team composition, and particularly in when you're looking at tactics cards? Well, I would want to play him in a, in a team that can give him uses for power. For example, Hex, Wakanda's ability, um, anything that lets him do something with power. Maybe tactics cards that you know somebody can pay for everyone else. You know. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I mean, I have other characters that come to mind, but I think Hawkeye is kind of a poster child. See, I, I have a different take. I think I think the the poster child for this is definitely Shuri. Uh, so she's got her six dice attack that guarantees her a power at range five, so she can nearly always find someone to attack. Plus, she's getting um, any skulls she rolls on attack or defense generate her power. So I often find that I'm stacking up and I've got, you know, maybe eight power on Shuri. Um, I love that when you play Wakanda Forever, it pays for itself because she makes an attack with Panther Gauntlets and gets that power straight back. So uh, she's got a great way of spending it, though, with upgrades such useful ability so although she generates a lot of power she often burns through it again either later in that turn or early in the next turn yeah uh, i mean you say power rich i i would i could find myself using all of her power every turn just because upgrades are so good but she finds herself with loads of power on her and that's what yeah. i mean so she, maybe she's using it um but I think it's interesting to think about those characters in your team because she could spend all that power on tactics cards instead if you've got those big expensive tactics cards that you want to drop. Follow me is a great example if you're trying to steal priority, for example. Yeah. Yeah, and her ability to get power off of skulls is incredible. It's something I get really excited for. Um, I guess one thing we haven't touched on, so all of the same thing, things the same about all of those characters is they have good builders. Uh, so when you're looking at characters that have got good ways of generating power with attacks, what we haven't touched on is characters who have innately more power. So any of the Asgardians, people with uh, Infinity Stones, or someone like Ebony Moore, who just start, or Hulk, who just start with more power. I'm not going to get into them, but my other two characters I would think of is Vision and Valkyrie. Valkyrie is part of what you just said, where she starts with the two, and then like all her abilities cost two, so she tends to like get that power back pretty effectively and and kind of keeps it as like a vicious power circle where she just can constantly spend power to make power with charge as we discussed earlier and then warrior of legend and vision has the cool sap and he can hit multiple targets and he gains power automatically when he hits someone or even attacks them never mind hit him doesn't matter if he hits them and uh you know he can tend to be another character that floods on power well let's turn it the other way and look at power hungry characters and maybe trying to focus on some of the ones we see a bit more often, but Desert, who would you say um, you know needs a bit of power to really turn them on and see them shining? Uh, without a doubt, especially because I've been playing him so much lately, is Green Goblin. His builder is um, lacking, to say in the easiest terms, um, and he just has so many things that he wants to spend power on, especially when he's on his healthy side. So, I mean, his injured side is completely different, but his healthy side, Green Goblin, is probably one of the most power hungry least builder characters that i can think of off the top of my head because he doesn't generate much off of doing attacks 
and he's looking at spending like he wants to be spending three to five power a turn at least uh to be really effective otherwise he's just trying to check out pumpkin bombs and put out status effects and that's that's all you really get out of him if he doesn't have any power uh which isn't bad but i think he definitely shines when he can actually get to power but he is terrible at making it himself okay Splish, who you go first I might be turning this into a commentary about characters I don't like, and I'm sorry, but um, see, I, I'm used to something like MODOK where he floods on power and can use it very effectively and can gain power very quickly. And when I look at these characters I'm about to mention, they all disappoint me. And I'll, I'll start with Ebony Maw, where he starts with a lot of power, but everything he has is expensive, and he only gains one power off his supposed builder. And then uh, you've got Captain Marvel, who... The dream is to somehow get five power, but similar, she can only gain like the one off her attack, which makes me sad. And then she uh, she has a strike, but it's like really difficult to like really make that worth it. You know, she doesn't have a charge or anything to really get her going, uh, which then follows into the next character of similar problem. Ronin has a strike, but like he doesn't gain power off his range attack. He has no charges or anything. He has a judgment that's hungry for power. And I, I'm not a fan of Ronan like ha trying to get in there and be useful. And then my last character, which probably is the most controversial, is Loki. He, mm -hmm. he, his description is very similar to these other characters. I will admit that if you can I am a god strike people, it's awesome. But I think in reality, against good opponents, they're not going to let you do that. Uh, and it still can be frustrating when with Loki, you're like, damn it, I need to use I am a god to not let him die. But then when it's, like, my turn to, like, use him, I don't have a great attack. Maybe I don't have the power for the, the I am a god. Or, or if you even if you do pull off the I am a god strike, it's probably his entire turn. Because he probably had to, like, move first. And then, so maybe he does, like, three or four damage. Whoopie-doo, he's a four-cost character. So, anyway, um, those are just some commentary of themes I noticed. Like, these, like, four- to five-cost characters with, like, a strike gainer but like no real charge or any great mechanic to get them involved and they're not like horrible characters or anything but when you compare them to like other characters you just see that their gaining ability isn't quite as up to snuff you totally stole my pick with loki i thought i was going under the radar there but uh no uh, i completely yeah. agree uh loki he he can however much power you have on loki you can always find good ways to spend it and therefore you never have enough power because there's always something else you want to be spending it on um sometimes you really need to spend it on i am a god defensively but then that's kind of a double-edged sword because then he's not gaining power from taking damage and therefore he right. can't do all his cool things on the offense and in the same way with trickster you're spending three power and sure loki's not taking any damage but you haven't actually cost them an action. They've still got, they get an action back. Uh, yeah, that's and although what they might not, the best it's case scenario is like someone charges him and they've used their charge and then now there's no one in range and so they have to move. So that could cost an action. But that's pretty rare that that happens. Yeah, well, I'm just, the, the I am God defense. I mean, obviously you don't want your character to die, but I find it frustrating that, like you said, sometimes they don't hit you and that's awesome. But then you're like, ah, crap. But now I like don't have power to, do anything either and like his frost blast is really underwhelming his illusions is three power and doesn't give you any power back which is really the whole point of what we're talking about today which is you if you're gonna spend it's gotta be really good and like i just, I just prefer uh 
using my power to get me more power. And I can give you some great examples of characters that do that. You know, I mean, Corvus Glaive, for example, he spends three power on his strike to make blanks into hits. He almost always gets that power back. And that's the kind of use of power I want. I want to, like, use power to do damage and get power back. And Loki's not... Like, in the unique situation where someone will actually allow you to I am a god strike, yes, Loki's awesome. But I don't see people allowing that very often. Well, he's a really good drop-off target. You know, Thor dropping off Loki is a really strong combination, particularly with uh, sibling rivalry access as well. That's a really strong counter-Modoc play. Um, and uh, I, I Am a God is great against Modoc as well because uh, the wilds that get turned to blanks still count as hits. So uh, he can, you know, you can engineer it. But um, Loki's about more than just doing damage as well. So if you come away from this thinking Loki's an awful character, I really don't think that. But uh, he... He's not the, the way he he's interesting in the power economy conversation because he doesn't generate it particularly well and he's got so many cool ways of spending it. Uh, yeah. You might think adding the mind gem makes things better because that generates the power, but then he wants to spend two power on using the mind gem every turn. So actually, that's costing him a power, and so yeah, that 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 makes him an even better character, but it it is even worse for his power economy. Yeah, and he only has ten health. Uh, that's true. Yeah. So, oh, you just mean in terms of gaining power, he's just only going to gain nine power that he can actively use in the in the game from taking damage. Yeah, I guess that's true. Right. Yeah, he doesn't have the venom seven health. If he did, like, imagine if he had seven health, I, I would that would probably change my tune a little bit. Uh, okay, so I wanted to then take this from characters and look generally a bit at affiliations, and then we're going to link back and talk about why I'm, we spent so much time on this on this section. Um, so, uh, Dizard, when you think of uh, affiliations that uh, struggle and, and take a while to get going, uh, which affiliations, because you know, they're short on power, they need a bit of power to sort of soup them up, which ones are you thinking about? Uh, so, basically every affiliation that I enjoy playing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So foes, um, web warriors. I see criminal syndicate gonna have issues with it. I see um, uh, guardians had issues with it. Um, so yeah, every affiliation that I enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So I think one one of those there that jumps out at me is is definitely web warriors. Yeah. They uh, feel like even though you're not spending power on their leadership ability, so many of their affiliated characters need just like a turn or two of building up power before they really start to shine. They're kind of mm -hmm. in that power hungry, very power hungry. Because there's lots of characters in that affiliation that are power hungry. Yeah, it's because they're all their abilities. You want to like their abilities make them shine. Like that's what makes them why you want to take them, and then all their abilities that you want to do. You want to like link them and do some neat little combo wombos and it all takes a bunch of power to try and get that done. Like I think let's let's get Gwen real quick. You spend for like an, um a nice little turn, you get three for a freestyle beat down and then oh probably one to or two to actually Gwen's are probably a bad example of that. I'm um, let's look at Miles. No, no, Miles. Gwen, no Gwen is a pretty good example because you spend the three to do her big like what is it? Yeah. Six beat or down. seven dice attack. Yeah, and then and then you want to follow up with like the bigger dice attack. No, it's six, and then she gets the seven on the the. Yeah, the no, that's that's why I was that's why I jumped to maybe she's a bad example because you just spend three and then you do the follow up. But Miles yeah. is actually the example of of bad power generation and a lot of power wants because he wants to he wants the web line 
uh, or a web swing to get that three in the range three to get the boost to his attack. And then he also has the Venom Blast he wants to do. And then, like, he's he just wants to spend power like nothing else and way faster than he can generate it. And then you don't want him taking damage either because um, he's super fragile um, when he does take damage. So it's it's it comes down to... I think Miles is a good example of it. Yeah, no, I, I think I completely agree with that. Um, what Sploosh, what about... Uh, you've hinted at some, but some that don't have these kind of power issues. Which ones spring to mind? Uh, hmm. I mean... Obviously, Cabal is the obvious, like, superpower team. Uh, Asgard is obvious, like you mentioned, because they have the specialized guardian power, which gives them a huge advantage early on on certain objectives. Um, I I think Wakanda is a debatable one, because I think uh, being able to spend power on attacks could theoretically get them their power back. And, you know, I... Even defending yourself, like rerolling a defensive dice, if that means you don't get dazed or KO'd, that could potentially save a ton of power for you, because then now you get to use your character in your turn instead of being dazed. Um, yeah, Wakanda's but... not one that I found particularly. Um, uh, it's neither, kind of neither fish nor foul. It's kind of in the middle. It's it's not really needs loads of power. I mean, clearly, if they get more power, they can do more of the cool things. But they do quite a lot of cool stuff with a very small amount of power. Just remember to end your turn with one power on all of your Wakandans, people, because then you've always got the option of Wakanda forever. Yeah, they're they're kind of iffy because, like, anyway, I I think that's one of the reasons Vision loves to be a Wakanda and he gets all his power. But anyway, um, then the last one is probably uh, Avengers. Um, Avengers is a weird one, but they definitely uh, the, the the affiliation allows a lot to happen, and it's it's one of those lists or, or teams that is trying to hedge their advantage over time, and so they want games to take a long time, so they're gaining more free power, so that at the end of the game you could say, in this game I gained like fifteen power for free, you know. And that's a quite an advantage over a long game where maybe spider foes have spent 15 power and hopefully get some of it back through damage, but it's not quite the one-to-one -one ratio that Avengers is uh, enjoying. Yeah, I think you covered that nicely. So the reason that I've, we spent the time doing this is I think that you should be thinking carefully about which kind of affiliations you're seeing across the table from you and which characters you are likely to see when you are choosing crises because crises was one of those five ways of spending power is interacting with crisis elements um, i think in particular the the ones like uh, meteors which require you to spend a power to interact with a secure that can be really important in dealing with some of these power-hungry characters because you put people in a really difficult position where you're now saying, okay, do I want to spend my power on doing these cool abilities or do I want to spend my power on getting victory points which are going to win me the game? Um, so just what do you guys, have you, do you think much about that when you're seeing an opponent against you and thinking about their characters and how much power they're likely to be generating or spending and factoring into your crisis choice? Uh, mostly with Asgard and Meteors, I think that's like the biggest one. Um, and then thinking along the lines of, it's more, I wouldn't necessarily say the affiliation itself, but more or less the, uh, deployment matchups. I think that's where it comes into play for me is, uh, is this character across from me more likely to do this or do this? 
uh I'm trying to give a good example like um like again like asgard is good i guess i yeah so asgard they can do two objectives if there's two lined up on top of each other they could interact with two objectives so if i have an asgard character across from me my biggest scene is well maybe i want to try and get over there and get that extract before they get the extract and the secure yeah i i can totally and, and i think we're beginning to know that about asgard and lots of people are aware of that i think yeah. where i'm coming at this from is you know uh, one of our first episodes we said maybe try taking cubes against web warriors and I'm mm -hmm. beginning to think now that's a mistake because the cubes, yes, they're going to do some damage to the web warriors, but it's relatively fast crisis. And really importantly, web warriors is a power hungry affiliation and you are giving them the ability to get more power. So I think maybe we gave some bad advice there and with a bit more play, maybe we've, uh, I'm, I'm revising my opinion on that because in light of this power discussion, because maybe if we said, um, you know, spider people is, is better against them because it's largely the same as cubes, but they're not gaining power from it. But even then, I'm not convinced that's true either. I think they're quite good on spider people. I think you might be better off with the, uh, even though it's like a D shape, but the um, the, the Black Order uh, ones where you have to Topic pay power evasion. to interact. Yeah, 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 yeah. So although it's the D shape, which they really like, that it's costing them power to retain control of that. And that's limiting what they're able to do um, in a power hungry affiliation. Yeah, the yeah, one that comes that. to mind to me is, uh, oh, damn it. Which one is it? The the one that gives power, the, the serum? Infinity one? formula? Yeah, I, the one always kills me with the name. Like if I see somebody's playing Avengers and they have like Captain Marvel, I'd probably like not really want to give them uh, Infinity Formula because I've actually seen people play Marvel on that one and it actually pays off for them because she just becomes like a super turret on one of the points. Um, you know, another example would be uh, the portals over on the city, the spider people, where you got to pay a power to to take a point as a as a, a secure. I, I personally, if I was playing Webwares, I would really not want to play on that. And, you know, that if I was, it, it really comes down to the matchup because, yeah, we can say all day that like Asgard is really good on like Meteors, but maybe your opponent's not playing Asgard. They're playing like Web Warriors and maybe I'm playing Cabal. So, they're, you know, in that situation, I feel more confident that I would have more power than they would, you know? Yeah. And so you got to look at it within reason to the situation. Um, so, yes, I am very mindful of power and I try to think about, you know, like, for example, Valkyrie on turn one can do, like, the move, move, throw, or move, move, charge. And so, in that sake, too, I'm thinking, uh, you know, for my own list and for my opponent's list, how online are they on turn one? Like, what do, do I need to be afraid of something right away? Or can I, do I get a turn of, of breathing room, you know? Um, and so, the objectives can play into that, too. How costly is it to go and pick up a bunch of objectives, you know? Uh, like, example... Like Baron Zemo, um, if Baron Zemo goes over and grabs something and spends a power, then he won't have a charge the next turn. So I have to weigh the cost of that. And if I see my opponent kind of telegraphing that they're going to use a character like Baron Zemo to pick something up, then I know I'm safe from a charge on turn two. And that's just another example of like how I have to think of it. And and it, it varies turn zero before anyone has selected anything, and it. it it's decided on turn one when people, or maybe even turn zero when people are placing their characters. I'm thinking about 
okay, he, he's telegraphing Zemo on the left, so I know that Zemo is going to be offline for potentially two terms, that kind of stuff. Okay, so just something I, I wanted to put out there was getting people thinking about power mechanics, power economy, when you're even at crisis selection. So be interested to hear the, you guys listening. If you've got any thoughts on that, come onto our Discord, let us know. Uh, so the final thing I wanted to touch on was an idea that's been floating around my head uh, for a while now. I think ever since I saw the lineup of characters that's on Defenders. And that's the idea of uh, a lineup which uh, a, a team who's designed to spend pretty much turns one through three denying power to your opponent and trying to maybe control them and push them off objectives but basically trying to say you're going to be limited in what you're going to do um so this is where uh valkyrie and spider-man that was what's got me thinking valkyrie's great for moving and just throwing people off and then spider-man's great for uh doing the the impact web and web line trick to again move people around but without doing significant attacks to them that are going to do lots of damage so you're denying them power gain through not dealing damage um when dr strange came out i was like well this is fantastic this plays perfectly to that game plan because he's got the push mechanics in his attacks he's got um power denial through potentially giving someone an activated token um and he's got the ability to make you so when they're doing damage to you uh you can be healing that back up and you can be making your defense better so i thought that played really nicely into that that's the first few turns, so you're may, maybe you're getting a little bit ahead by on playing the control game, um, but then turn four, it kind of pivots and goes hard into, I'm going to smash you in the face, and you know, and this is the most important turn of the game, and now I'm going to KO a whole bunch of your characters with all this power that I've generated from being attacked a bit, and then sort of pay that off, so that I've got a big power advantage going into a turn where it matters. Um, now, I've kind of sprung this on you guys, but what do you think of that as a game plan? I've heard of people talking about things like that for for a while. Um, I've ever, I've never really witnessed it. <laughs> like, um, you know, as far as like it purely a power discussion, I've I have experienced and seen people like knocking characters around in such a, a extreme degree that they're spending like whole turns just really getting back in the fight. Um, you know. I've seen games like that and it's really a, it's almost I, I hate to I want to use the word obnoxious because it's like for me it's like oh man when my character's way off in the corner it feels really bad to spend like my whole turn just trying to get back into the fight and and I'm not going to gain any power if all I'm doing is walking back across the board you know mm. um I, so I guess I've never thought of it and just literally power only as a discussion but I, I, there's some validity to just frustrating your opponent by moving them around and really not like they can't get their power gain like modok for example like one of the prime example of gaining power if you just move modok far away from the fight he's horrible at repositioning and if he's not attacking he's not gaining power and if he's not gaining power he's not accomplishing his task as a character so i, I do think it's very interesting and it's definitely something that needs to be fleshed out more in in the future um i've seen people and and even you and i jacob have talked a little bit about like how web warriors has the ability to be more controlly than perhaps people are doing right now mm. you know um so yeah it's it's not a play style I, I i gravitate towards but i i do need to play more and try to do things like that a little bit more often i just haven't been sold on it as like a tier one validity thing maybe uh, we don't have quite have the right pieces yet 
Um, and this is kind of when I got excited by when we saw the um, Kingpin, that the new um, uh, Team Tactics card for the Criminal Syndicate that enables you to take priority, because that would play perfectly into that play style of, I want to go last and push you off for the first few turns, and then late in the game, I want to steal priority and do a boatload of damage. So that, that got me thinking about them, but I'm not convinced they've got the... Um, the characters in affiliation with the right sort of kit to do the to do the first part of the plan. There is one thing I'd like to uh, add to this discussion that um, just kind of hit me. Um, we haven't really talked about the ability to give power from one character to another. I, I know, and I don't mean R and D. R and D is an example of that, but that does cost you a tactics card, so you are spending a resource to to kind of do it. Um, I was thinking more like patch up med kit and Shuri's upgrades. Does that does that something you'd like to to get into more? You see, can you get where I'm going with that? I can see, yeah, yeah. So um, let's take med pack as a great example. I can spend two power on Valkyrie round one, um, and I've healed three damage off someone who's taken some damage. That character is now back at full health and has three power that they've gained from being attacked. They've then got the facility to take three more power, so it's transferring it from a character, maybe Valkyrie's a bad example for this, but who doesn't have a great use for their power, so maybe Hawkeye is, a, is the best example here. Right, yeah. Transferring power off Hawkeye onto someone who can use that power better. Yeah, I mean, Shuri's just insane because she has upgrades, but Hawkeye's a more fair example, where, as I just said earlier, Hawkeye maybe has no spenders, but he could be the guy who does the patch up or the med kit. And and then that allows the other character to not only be alive, potentially not be dazed and use their power, but also they're spending their own power for what they would maybe rather be doing, which is perhaps killing or controlling someone. Field dressing is another great example, um, especially because if you know you're not going to have priority, then there's a chance that character just gets KO'd at the top of the next round. And so any of the power they've gained from all the damage they've taken from when they got dazed is now completely wasted, let alone all the power from the other side as well. So I think field we should add, definitely add field dressing into that conversation. Yeah. No, that's absolutely true. Um, and I mean, you know, often when you field dressing a character, they're just loaded with power so their murder potentials extreme right um yeah and and uh, you know people have talked a lot about tier lists on tactics cards but the ones we just mentioned a lot of it is the transfer of power and i wonder if people have never really i personally haven't heard anyone really articulate the idea that these tier s tier whatever tactics cards are the ones that allow power transfer I think you could also look at something like um, Red Skull's Master of the Cube, the ability to place MODOK up. That costs Red Skull power, and that gives MODOK the ability to make another attack, which generates MODOK more power. So there's another way of transferring power there. Yeah, that's an absolutely great example. Um, is there any other characters that jump to mind? I think Shuri and Red Skull are like the two biggest. Uh, and then Hawkeye Thanos. or like Vision, maybe, are good like builders that people use a lot. Yeah. I think Thanos transfers power well because he spends two power to give somebody else plus two dice and potentially you know move people as well. He's a great person to have lots of power on because he makes all the rest of the team better. Yeah, that's a good example. Um, and you know what? Duh, uh, Doctor Strange and Wong. They have heals. Yep. Yeah, they've got uh, the heals and Wong can just give people power. Or remove a stagger, which is a resource in itself. You're giving him an action. Yeah. Spend an action then, and gain an action. 
So I, it's not quite transferring, but I guess the Asgardian ability is well, kind of similar to that, yeah. Yeah, well, right. Well, yeah, Asgardian ability is insane because you're not even you're spending a power for an action if you're removing stagger, right? Or if you remove yeah. stun, you could be transferring one power to gain more power in the future. So yeah, actually, that's that's a selling point for the Asgardian affiliation. So yeah, it's something to think about whenever you see new characters. Think about not only uh, you know how much power they may gain, but how much power they might be able to give to other characters. You know, ensure he's giving you rerolls, which might be on an attack, which would give the other character power. So she's theoretically trading her power to give it to someone else, just in in upgrades. There's also power denial because if you're giving rerolls on defense, you're reducing the power gain from your opponent as well, uh, which is relevant for even um, what's it called, uh, Ogos Ori Wisdom, which gives plus mm -hmm. two dice. So. It's a lot more variance based, but I mean, adding two defensive dice to your teammates would reduce theoretically power gain that your opponent might get. And how many times have you played a game where someone goes, oh man, if I just did one more damage, I could throw you? Yeah, it happens a lot. Yeah. That's all. I, I just thought that was really interesting. Well, that wraps it up for this episode of The Danger Room. We hope you enjoyed it and learned something to level up your next game. You can reach out to us on our Discord, Twitter, or Facebook. The links will be in the description. We have a questions channel on our Discord, so feel free to drop us some questions in there and we'll answer them on the show. Thank you for taking the time and listening to us. If you're liking what you hear, leave a rating or comment or even both. We appreciate any feedback to help us grow and become a better group to bring you the best quality content that we can. See you next time in the Danger Room. Simulation complete.